0: This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us for worship Sundays at 10 a.m. Visit us online at holytrinityrec.org. Find us on Facebook as Holy Trinity Houston, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram as Holy Trinity REC. Enjoy the sermon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Our sermon this morning comes from our Gospel reading from Luke. It's Luke 8, 4 through 8. Again, it's Luke 8, 4 through 8. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Back in the early 2000s when I was still a Baptist pastor up in Maine, I had a friend of mine who was also a pastor have another gentleman come in to uh, do pulpit supply for him. And it was for a couple weeks. And one of those weeks he actually got up and opened the Bible up to where he was supposed to preach from that Sunday And I don't think he actually prepared a sermon, but he read the scripture and he said, this scripture is so obvious, I'm not going to preach on it. You guys have to go home and read it. So needless to say, he probably didn't get an honorarium for that week. But in all seriousness, this is one of those passages that you kind of wonder about whether or not the pastor has to really preach on it because Jesus provides the explanation very explicitly on what he had just preached to this large group of people the the day before. And so we know the reasoning behind the parable because Jesus talks about it. But we don't always we don't know necessarily why he preached it the way he, or when he did. Uh, Part of the answer for that lies in his explanation with the disciples as to why he preached a parable at all. He says further down when he's with his disciples, when they ask him what the parable meant, he says very specifically, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is a quote from way back in Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 10 through 11, where the Lord says the following. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return What I just read actually actually explains the rest of the, the last part of the parable. But what he does preach is from, actually, Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6, he talks, God says for Isaiah to go out to his people. And he tells them to preach that hearing they will not hear, seeing they will not under, uh, understand. The idea behind this is, is that the Lord has actually rejected his people because of their idolatry, at least within Isaiah's time. Jesus is doing pretty much the same thing here. Uh, At a certain point in his ministry, he actually, what we would say, he goes underground. He starts uh, preaching, but he preaches in such a way that not everybody is going to understand what he's telling them. Uh, It's left up to the individual to see uh, whether or not he picks up on the meaning of what Jesus is saying. And if you were one in that crowd and you didn't understand where Jesus was coming from, you were probably wondering, why did this rabbi uh, travel all this way out to preach and then give me a lesson on agriculture? And that's pretty much what the lesson is. It's a very explicit, very uh, down-to-earth picture of what happens when a person goes out and throws seed out in his field. But... The question is why? Why did Jesus pray or preach this particular message when he did, and later share the meaning with his disciples? So first, as we go through, we find that Jesus talks about this sower who goes out with seed. In his explanation, he doesn't really, he doesn't at all, actually identify the sower. Uh, so it has come to be understood that the sower is actually God himself. Uh, others might say that it's somebody who's actually out there sharing the gospel or preaching the scripture to uh, the world at large. But whatever it mean, whoever the sower is, it's the seed and the soil and the interaction that really are at the center of what's going on. And he goes and he talks about four different soils. There's this hard soil. There's soil that's rather rocky, or he says in this, in particular, in this uh, version of uh, the parable, it says that it's basically rock. And then there's soil that has thorns in it, and then there's what's called the good soil. So when we look at this, and if you're a person outside looking in um, in the in the group that's listening to Jesus. You kind of understand where he's coming from because you are from an agrarian society, so you understand, for instance, that in these fields, there's a whole bunch of different um, uh, soils that are there. Uh, There's this path, for instance, that will go in between the tilled fields that are hardened down so that workers can go through and basically throw their seed out. Uh, And and there's areas that aren't being tilled at the moment, and those are the ones that have overgrowth in them. particularly there's these thorns that have a tendency to choke out the growth of the plants uh, both above ground and also beneath ground because of their root system. But when he starts this, he's actually talking about individuals and how they respond to the gospel. And first he talks about those who reject the gospel. He talks about these as being Um, uh, the ones that are along the path are those that have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. So here there's this idea that there are people out there that will be blinded to the meaning of the gospel. Now if you think about it, this is not really a nice verse to really preach on a Sunday saying that the devil can actually prevent somebody from believing. But Paul has a similar idea uh, in 1 Corinthians. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul says this. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful and unhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning, or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God." So this isn't a very pretty message. It's not a message that you would necessarily talk about in a seeker-sensitive environment. It's the idea that there is one for a, a real devil, a real prince of this world, that actually comes and takes the gospel away from people. And it's people who are perishing, as Jesus talks about. Those who are in open rebellion against God, Uh, who, from the very beginning, along with just about everybody, of course, naturally rejects the gospel and the one who sends it. And these people, of course, are like the hard soil. They're the ones in which the birds come and they land on the trail and they pick up the seeds and they fly away. These are folks that don't really care about what the gospel says or what God says. Uh, It is simply uh, so much blather in the air another religion that's trying to feed into their conscience, and they reject it. But then Jesus goes on and talks about a second kind of soil, which is what I would term the shallow acceptance of the gospel. Uh, He talks about it um, in verse 6. He talks about the rocks. Uh, Some fell on the rock or the seed that flew uh, that fell on the rock and as it grew up it withered away because it had no moisture and then he goes on and he talks about how this represents or the soil represents certain people who immediately accept the gospel but then because of times of testing reject it and in cases such as those he's referring probably referring to sometime in the very near future um, when the apostles were still alive, when they were to go out and as they preached, there would be some people that really loved the gospel. They really wanted to, they uh, grasped it. They thought it was wonderful. But then, when persecution came, when times that would test their faith came, uh, maybe they would be threatened with their very life. These were the types of people that would fall away, and he and he attributes it, attributes it to. Um, a, uh, a shallowness of faith a shallowness of practice um, so in, in this sense when we see people come into, the, come into church and what he was trying to point out to his apostles was is that not everyone who says yes Lord is really saying yes Lord um, Faith is not a point-in-time decision. So when we look at today, and as I was relating in confirmation class, I had a teenager come up to me when I was still up in Maine who was with Child Evangelism Fellowship and talked about all of these kids that they had uh, come up for face paintings and they had all accepted Christ as their Savior. And there was about 50 or 60 kids. And while you don't want to really deflate a person, uh, on such wonderful numbers, you have to wonder what becomes of the children if they did indeed embrace Christ as their Savior. The possession of faith is a lot different than, based, than professing faith. It's the idea of an enduring faith that goes along uh, in your life and it grows. It may flow. It may ebb. But there's this sense that God is always with you, and that the faith that you have actually is not something that's your very own. And Paul, he talks about in Ephesians, in verses chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. It's a very well-known verse. Talks about for being, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So Paul talks about this idea of not only faith, but all of salvation being a gift, something that's given to us by God himself, not something that we conjure up on our own. And then he goes on and he talks about this other type of soil, the one that's choked out by the thorns. And he says these are the types of people that when they come and they embrace the gospel, they... Uh, are basically choked out by various circumstances, whether it be um, the cares of the world, uh, riches, or or the pleasures of life. Uh, These are the folks, as Jesus talks about, uh, that uh, basically become distracted. The kingdom of God becomes a secondary or a tertiary, uh, or even further down the list, on their list of priorities in their life. Uh, Other things crowd in, such as professionalism, such as uh, the need to always work, the need to always make more money, uh, the need to find fame, or whatever it is, uh, if it's not centered on God, that's what happens with these folks. Now, it doesn't really say that they leave or that they go apostate, but it does seem to indicate that there is some lessening, a serious lessening in their spiritual life. And we look at, for instance, in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches about what it means to worry about all of these other things that he's talking about in the parable. He says that, uh, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he says, worrying about how much you bring home every week, or the position of your job, or how many times you get mentioned in the newspaper, or even the more elemental things like food and clothing, are not the primary thing that you're supposed to be worried about. Uh, and he says, and he implicitly says, God has this covered for you, my children. He says, what you need to concentrate on, what your focus needs to be on, is me. It's supposed to be on who I am. How do you please me as your God? How do you follow me? How do you embrace me in faith? These are the things that are to be forefront in your mind and are supposed to consume your thoughts day and night. These other things, the food, the water, the fame, or the lack of it, or whatever comes along will be added onto you in some way, somehow. It doesn't mean we all grow up to be famous or rich or good-looking or what have you, but it does mean that God provides, and he will provide for his people and not leave them by themselves. And then lastly, he talks about in the good soil, those that basically uh, come up in the faith, uh, they hear the word, they hold fast to it in honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. And as he says in the parable, it's growing uh, growing a hundredfold. Their fruit that they produce is way beyond what anyone would ever expect of a seed planted in that ground. So here Jesus is talking about those who continue to grow and mature in the faith. They may have hills and valleys and times of trying as well as times of triumph, but there's a faith in them that is unshakable, a faith that will not leave them because God won't leave them. Uh, We find uh, this type of soil revealed uh, in places like 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 where jesus talks about or excuse me where paul talks about the Thessalonians coming to christ and he says it's not just because we came and preached the word he says for we know brothers loved by god that he has chosen you because your gospel or our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the holy spirit and with full conviction so it came supernaturally uh, this preaching of the gospel was not a mere repetition of words. It was something that was coupled with the Holy Spirit himself and the power of God. And it was because of those things, God's people who were once in rebellion came to life through that preaching. And it's these people who are persevere. Of course, in reform circles, you hear a lot about perseverance of the saints. Uh, we would also adhere to that if you look in the 39 articles. Uh, and Paul would say in Romans 8, uh, what we sometimes call the golden chain of salvation, he says the following, beginning in verse 28 of that paragraph. He says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to their, his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So here we find this uh, sustaining power of God working in the lives of individuals with one mind and with one goal only. And that goal is to bring these people who he has chosen to be his own, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And it's in this conforming into the image of Jesus that the fruit is born. Uh, As we become more like our Savior, the more we imitate him, the more we act like him, the more we think like him. Uh, And while we may not see that fulfillment in this life, we do see its culmination when he returns again, when sin is taken away and when we are finally united with Christ himself. So now that we have talked about the parable, the question is why? And why does he preach it now? Why does he only tell the disciples about what the real meaning is other than the fact that Isaiah predicted so long ago that this would happen, that Jesus would start preaching in a style that would make it very selective for those who would hear? The theory that I have is, is that when you look just a chapter ahead, he actually sends the apostles out in Luke to go out amongst uh, the various villages in Israel in in two-by-two and basically going from village to village proclaiming the the gospel. And as they do so, (coughs) they're going to experience various reactions. And as they go out, again, even in the book of Acts, as we see them going out proclaiming the finished message of the gospel after Christ descends, <clears throat> they're going to see various responses. Uh, they're going to see some people who not only reject the gospel, but they're going to want to kill them. Uh, you're going to see others who do embrace the gospel very infervently at the beginning, but then over time, as either political or religious circumstances uh, dictate, they're going to wind up feeling persecuted and they may wind up being uh, threatened with their own life. And then, of course, there's others who come into the church, they act like Christians and they come in, but they don't really partake and they don't really become part of the body of Christ because everything else is more important. And then lastly, there's always those core people that they will see and that they preach to that stay in the church, stay within the body of Christ, and flourish. And this is what he is basically saying, look, when you go out and you start preaching in my name, this is the kind of response you're going to see. You're going to see a messy response. It's not like his seed goes out and all goes in good soil. It's going to go all over the place. And it's kind of implicitly told to the apostles that, you spread the gospel everywhere. It's not just who you think might listen. You're supposed to proclaim it to everyone, and it's up to God to decide who it affects and how it affects. And this is also a very good message for even us today, of course. As the, the gospel has gone out and has reached the ends of the world, uh, there have been various responses to it, uh, various, different responses. And even today, when you look at this parable, some will see it as actually a command to be the right soil. Uh, It's a very gospel, very fervent evangelistic call for people to get the right heart, to accept Christ's message. But this parable doesn't really talk about that. It doesn't tell you to be the right soil. It just talks about what the right soil does when it's combined with the seed. And this is the type of wariness that we should have as well as hope that we should have and when we go out and we share the gospel with friends with family with other people we may not even know it's not going to be an automatic uh, conversion event uh, some people will get violent some people will actually try to cut you out of your family uh, as has been the case with many in the past others will think that you're playing weird Uh, Because now you're preaching this thing called Jesus, and they've never heard of it, or if they have heard it, they've only associated it with people who are kooky. And then you have other folks who come in and out of the church. We see it all the time, even now. And this should not surprise us, because Jesus has told us that this is so. so. As we think about what it means to be part of the church, remember that as you go out and you talk about the gospel, or that we preach the gospel in here, It is not just a case of somebody mishearing us or not somebody just not wanting to actually convert to Christ at the minute. It goes much deeper than that. It goes to the heart of the individual and his readiness uh, and his preparation by God. And again, this isn't always an instantaneous thing. Sometimes it takes time for the seed to grow. Um, You may have somebody who has actually... very uh, rebellious to the gospel, but then over time, God will bring him or her to Christ. So don't expect, as we go out, as I said, that the gospel is always going to give the reaction that you want it to give. It's going to give the reaction that God has intended, whether it be to bring somebody to Jesus or to let them uh, hear the gospel, if not for anything, to know that they have been warned, about Jesus and what they've done for him. So let's think about that as we go out and proclaim the gospel beyond the doors of the church, that we are merely his sowers, but it's up to God to bring the, the harvest in. Amen.